Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Great job, Mel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, and Jet, can you stay out here just for a minute, please? Um, we have some talented people on our staff. Uh, you've just seen two of them, actually. And I, I've asked Jet if he could stay out here just for a minute. Because we don't always share what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, we don't share necessarily the organisation and the organisational changes. But one of the things that we're just doing at the moment is thinking through our music organisation. And uh, Jet is going to be transitioning from the coordinator for the Sunday morning service to the coordinator for the Sunday evening service. And so what I thought it would be really great to do is just be able to thank him and appreciate him. So I just want to share a few things about Jet. Um, over the last, uh, I'm not sure how long it is, but months and months and months, Jet has been our coordinator here. And not only do we get the benefit of his musical skills and talents, but this man's heart is, is so much for us coming to worship God. So as we talk about how we do music in this service and how we come to worship... Jet's always thinking about how can we get all of us closer to God. And it's just been a beautiful thing to see. So I wanted to mention that. He also puts in a huge amount of time. So how many of you here were at carols last year, at the end of last year? So that's, so, that's something that Jet orchestrates. As, as the music director, he orchestrated that. Um, our Christmas services. So many of the things that we do where you've seen worship, whether he's been on the stage or not, Jet's been doing that. So as he transitions, I think we're, we're going to just see him less and less in the mornings. He'll still be around. I think you're going to worship with us sometimes, um, but not on the stage. I thought this morning, as one of the last times for a little while that you're going to be on the stage, we should just say thank you, Jet, in the customary manner with a big round of applause. So, Jet, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, brother. It's really important to just recognise people, I think, and, and Jet... He's just been such a wonderful uh, uh, leader for us, I think, in worship. So I thought that was important. Thank you for, uh, for giving him a big round of applause. Please connect with him as you see him this week, next week, and just say thanks. Hey, we are, uh, we're in a series here, and as we start this series, this, this part of the series this morning, I want to start with a little analogy and see if I can connect with you. Uh, does anybody have at home, or did you have in a house, a measuring wall? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that wall in your house where periodically you stand everybody in the house against it and you mark in pencil because you're pretending that actually you're not messing up the wall. Uh, and, and then six months later, you come back and you mark it again and you see who's grown how much. Any of you got that at home? Or maybe you've been in a house that does that? Or maybe you're thinking, that's a really good idea. We should do that. And, and what you see is you see people grow. It doesn't actually matter where they are. It's like what happens over a period of time? Are you catching mum or dad in height? Who's taller than who? That sort of thing. So I don't know if you have one of those walls, but the thing about those walls is they show us physical growth. And physical growth is kind of obvious because it's visible. Well, this morning, we're moving into the second topic of our Key Truths series, and our, our topic this morning is called God Calls Us to Grow. Actually, our whole series is about growing. We're in a year of growing deeper, and these are truths, this, this series of key truths is about 
Truths that we grasp with our heart and our head. Truths that we can live our lives by that help us grow deeper in faith, hope and love. Help us grow deeper in Christ. And we've got a beautiful picture up here. Um, Another talented member of our team, Sue Gifford. I just love this graphic. But you might be asking, why the rock climber? The idea of the rock climber is that uh, rock climbers, when they free climb, use these things called pittons. And these are metal spikes that get banged into the rock. And those metal spikes are kind of like our key truths. What happens with them is they help the rock climber get where the rock climber is trying to go. They help the rock climber grow, if you like, towards the summit. But they serve another important function if you've ever been rock climbing. If you happen to fall, if that thing is solid, then the fall's not dangerous and it's not far. And that's a little bit like our key truth. So I wanted to explain that picture to you. Our key truths are like those spikes that rock climbers use that are wedged into the rock that keep us safe and help us grow. Last week, Brian started. He kicked off with the topic, uh, God is sovereign, God's sovereignty. And there were some fantastic points there. I've just got a few I want to recap. The first thing Brian told us was that the big lines of history are set but the little lines are open. The big lines are set, but the little lines are open. He said, our choices do matter, but God's will prevails. And he said that within the sovereignty of God's will, we're each called to our own, own journey. If you were here last week, you might remember the bit in the Bible where Peter says, what about him? And Brian said, actually, we shouldn't be looking What about him or what about her? God calls us each to our own journey. So that was our our first topic in Key Truths. God is sovereign. And as I said, today we're looking at God is calling us to grow. I'm going to address this with three questions. I'm going to look at three questions and the answers to these questions. What is this growth that we're called into? How do we grow? How, How are we called to grow? And why? Why are we called to grow? And then at the end, I'm actually going to talk about a little tool uh, that is quite useful to seeing how we're going with our spiritual growth. So what is it? How do we do it? And why? So let's start with the what. We've touched on physical growth. Visible, obvious. Now, God also calls us to grow emotionally. He calls us to grow our skills and our talents. But this morning, what I want to focus on is where God calls us to grow spiritually. And how do we do that? Well, there are several parts in the Bible that help us see this. Part of our spiritual growth is character growth. And you might know some of the lists in the Bible about character growth. Faith, hope and love is an obvious one. If you were here on Vision Sunday, we gave out one of these, a little bookmark, and and it just has faith, hope and love. And we encouraged each other, we wrote here, and I I hope maybe you've still got it, maybe some of you have got it in your Bibles this morning, but if you do, I'd encourage you to keep this this year. And we said, God's calling us to grow deeper in faith, in hope, and in love. And there are some particular parts of that that will be what God's calling you into. Writing them down and looking at them periodically is really helpful. There are other lists in the Bible. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. This is a classic one to learn. You might know it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a list of character traits as we grow spiritually we grow into these these traits or what about this one and i really like this list 
And I'll tell you why in a moment. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Here's what it says there. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an additive list. It's clearly talking about growth. Add to your faith, goodness. Keep adding. And then at the end it says, increasing in these qualities. It's a clear passage that said these spiritual qualities are important and it's important to grow in them. But if I were to summarise more completely and perhaps more succinctly what I think we're, what this growth is that we're called into, here's what I'd say. So if you're a note taker, this would be my first, my first headline bullet. I'd say that God calls us to grow more like Christ. God calls us to be, to grow, to be more like Jesus. I'll give you a couple of verses that I think bring this out beautifully. The New Living Translation version of, of Ephesians 4.16 so it's Ephesians 4.16, New Living Translation says this, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Or how about this one, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It uses just a beautiful phrase. It says, We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Transformed into the likeness of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Now, the starting point for this, of course, is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is God's Son who came, lived a perfect life and died so that where we have not been able to meet God's standards, we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled to God. That's the message of the gospel. That's the first step in spiritual growth. So I don't know, this morning, perhaps you don't know Jesus yet, but the rest of this is irrelevant Grab onto that truth that Jesus Christ died for us so that we can be reconciled to God. That's the first big step. And then it says, once you've started that journey, we can be transformed into being more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. Amazing. So, in answer to this question, what is the growth? Our key truth is that God calls us to grow to be more like Jesus. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see it throughout Scripture, but nowhere more so than in the disciples. Disciple actually means learning to be like the Master. So the disciples of Jesus were on this journey. In fact, the disciples, I guess, were, were on a, the most amazing journey of growth following Jesus. And we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read it together. So you might think, why didn't we read the Bible before the sermon. If, you, if you've been here for a while, you know we've got a certain pattern. Actually, we changed it this morning because we're going to read this together and look at it as we go through. Matthew chapter 14, if you've got your Bible or your phone, verses 22 to 23. Let me set the scene here for what's going on. These disciples, these guys following around Jesus trying to learn to be like him, are on history's most amazing three-year spiritual and leadership training course. And they have already sat through live the Sermon on the Mount. They have seen miraculous healings. And they've heard these parables about this thing called the Kingdom of Heaven. And now today, they've just finished a day where 
thousands of people have been fed with a few loaves and a few fish. Let's pick it up in verse 22. The day is finished and it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, that's the other side of the lake, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. I stopped there for a moment. Now, some of you you know this story well. This is the Jesus walking on the water story. But I want to try and get us just into into this moment where it's a bit fresher. So, If you're comfortable to do this, close your eyes with me. I want to walk you through a little scenario here. So imagine it's been a really, you've had a really big day, but you're lying in bed now. You've got your eyes closed, you're lying in bed. It's three or four o'clock in the morning. You've had a big day and your mind's racing and you just can't sleep. There's just too much going on in your mind. So you decide, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go for a walk around the block just to clear, clear my head. So you put your clothes on, out the door, lock the door, keep everyone at home safe. So can you see yourself, you're walking, walking down the road, starting to come up to maybe the first corner as you walk around the block there. And it's four o'clock in the morning, your mind's racing. You, you walk around the corner and then suddenly right in front of you, five metres in front of you, there's a person standing there and they're about a foot off the ground walking along. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be scared. Fear is one of the emotions that springs to mind because I wasn't expecting somebody there at that moment. You can open your eyes now. I wasn't expecting somebody there at that moment. And I certainly wasn't expecting to be walking a a foot off the ground. So there's kind of surprise, but in me, there's like, whoa, what's going on? It's 4 a.m. in the morning. There shouldn't be somebody there. And I wonder if that's a little bit how the disciples were feeling. You see, we don't know why Jesus decided to walk across the lake this particular night. And we might have a guess, you know, he'd been preaching all day, he'd probably been sitting down preaching, and then that evening he went and prayed, which is pretty sedentary, and it's highly possible that his Fitbit was saying, you haven't got 10,000 steps yet, and you really need to uh, pick that up. No, we, we don't really know why Jesus was walking across the lake. But here's what it says, after the disciples had this emotion of fear, in verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, between you and me, I'm not sure how much that would have necessarily helped. I'm I'm still thinking, this is strange. I know I've seen all these miracles, but I'm still not computing. He's walking on the water. And I think for 11 of the guys in that boat, that's kind of where it stopped. I, I picture them standing at the side, sort of holding on to the side of the boat, just in fear, in wonder. But one of the disciples saw this whole situation a little differently. It was Peter. And here's what Peter says, verse 28 now. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Why did he ask that? If you know anything about Peter in the scriptures, Peter's the guy who does first and then thinks later. He does something, then asks questions. Here he's he's actually asking a question. Why is that? What's going on here? 
There's a guy called John Ortberg. I'm going to talk about his book in a minute, but, but he's got this interesting... He says, uh, it's not like Peter saw Jesus walking on the water and thought, cool, it's a new extreme sport, water walking. I, I've got to get into it. Well, what's going on here is something quite different. We wonder if Peter is checking out that Jesus is a ghost. That's another possibility. Now, if you thought there was a ghost outside of your boat, would you ask to walk on the water? You might ask some other questions like, okay, if you're real, how many loaves and fish did you actually use for that miracle this morning? Or you might ask him something about, what is the name of our 12 disciples' Facebook messenger group? I mean, there's there's some sort of intimate detail that you would ask rather than getting out on the water, surely. But I think that Peter recognised something here. He recognised he wanted to follow Jesus, that this was an opportunity to be more like the master that something amazing was going on here and Peter was inspired and part of the reason he asked was because he knew that to grow to be more like the master is also to be obedient to the master and that you only want to try something like that if you know it's being obedient to what Jesus wanted so he asked he said Jesus tell me to come if it's really you and, and I'll obey and what does Jesus say verse 29 Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, I can't help but think that Peter's life at that moment was changed forever. I think for the rest of Peter's life, there were moments where he thought back to, I walked on the water with Jesus. I think in that moment, Peter grew, that moment of action. Now, I don't quite know how you get out of a boat. I don't know if it's like this or you scrabble down the side. But at that moment that he got out of the boat, that action catalyzed growth and change in his life. Let's read in verse 30 and see what happened. But when he saw the wind, this is Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. John Ortberg, I referred to him earlier, he's written this book called If You Want want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. You might have heard of this book. It's been around for, for quite a number of years. If you want to walk on the water... You've got to get out of the boat by John Ortberg. I'd encourage you to you write that down and read it if you're a reader. It made some great points. There's three that I want to draw out. And the first one is this, that growth often requires getting out of the boat. Growth requires us to get out of the boat. So we're looking at this question of how do we grow. Well, part of it requires that we get out of the boat. And the question this morning, of course, is what's my boat? Let me give you a few options. Success. Perhaps you're in a boat of success. I'm feeling successful right where I am. I don't actually want to step out of this one because that might be unsuccessful. So maybe you've got a boat of success. Maybe you've got a boat of financial security. A boat, a place that you don't want to step out of because actually I'm, I'm, I'm holding on here for dear life because I think this is the most financially secure place. How about a boat of people-pleasing? Now, this is an interesting one for, for a preacher, for somebody who gets up on stage. 
And I have to make sure that I'm not in a boat of saying, as long as I get good feedback on my sermon, I'm doing a good thing. No, no, no. I have to be careful not to be in that boat of people-pleasing. Sometimes I have to get out of that. There might be messages that God asks me or somebody on this stage to give that aren't pleasing, but they're important. Or a boat of secrecy. This is the boat where addictions flourish and, and relationships can be broken. Now, boats don't always have to be negative. Sometimes we can just be in a nice, comfortable boat, but if we don't get out of the boat, we're going to miss an increased gifting. And it is God's perfect timing this morning that Mel Gillis was on stage doing her very first stepping out of the boat into growing into hosting a service. Beautiful young lady, we're so blessed to have her, and yet she said, you know what, this is an opportunity for growth. I'm going to step out of that boat of comfort and do something new. She would, though, relate to the second point that John Erdberg makes, and this is that getting out of the boat always means facing your fear. Growing often means facing the fear, and the magnitude of the fear is, is often proportional to the magnitude of comfort and safety you feel in that boat. There are 11 guys in that boat with Peter who didn't want to get out of the boat. Fear was holding them back. They'd seen all the same things that Peter had seen about Jesus. They knew a whole lot of the same stuff, but for them, there was a reluctance to get out of the boat. The third point is this, that we need to think about failure, not as failure, but as an opportunity to grow. In Ortberg's book, there's a great story about a guy called Winston Churchill. You've probably heard of him. He was the Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II. And apparently there was a... a, Well, he he would have been interviewed lots of times. But one time a journalist said to him, so so, uh, he wouldn't have been Sir Winston yet. But anyway, Winston, uh, what prepared you to be able to lead a nation through a war? And Winston Churchill said, well, uh, I had to repeat a... Uh, grade at school. And the reporter said, what? You failed a grade at primary school? And, and his surprise, I think, came from the fact that Winston Churchill had a vocabulary that would have been all of ours put together and he was incredibly intelligent. And, and Winston Churchill had failed something? And Churchill said, no. No, I've never failed anything in my life. I've only had opportunities to try again. Typical, classic, great Winston Churchill quote. But what we have here is that Peter tried. Peter made an effort to get out of that boat. So how do we grow spiritually? We need to embrace the circumstances that we're in and take action. What sort of action? Sometimes it's getting out of the boat. Sometimes it's something different. And I want to share with you this morning something called spiritual disciplines. I'm going to touch on them briefly. Spiritual disciplines. A guy called Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, bestseller. And he listed 12 spiritual disciplines. And all I want to do this morning is mention each one of them and see if the Holy Spirit pokes you for any of those and says, hey, go and look this up. Go and investigate this more. Because what Richard Foster says is that spiritual disciplines are like a farmer cultivating the soil getting the soil ready for the seeds to be planted, that will grow beautifully. And so for us, 
Spiritual disciplines can be incredibly helpful as we think about growth and as we prepare ourselves for growth. There have been Christians practicing these things for thousands of years. Let me read through the 12. Foster categorizes them into four groups, three groups of four. The first one, he says, is there are inward disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Again, if you're a writer, write down whatever God is saying to you here. There are outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And Foster has another group he calls corporate disciplines, which are confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, some of those words, you might think, oh, what is that? If you're thinking that, go and have a look. Some great stuff there. But let's continue to ask this question. We've been talking about how do we grow spiritually? And we've talked about embracing circumstances and taking action But that's not the whole story. If we stop there, we could mistakenly think it's our job and our job alone to grow. But that is not what the Bible tells us. The passage that I'm going to read is is one example where God says, actually, it's not just you, it's me who does growth. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 6, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking to the believers in Corinth. And Paul has been talking to them, other people. There's a guy called Apollos that has talked to the Corinthians about Jesus. And Paul says this. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And here's the key sentence. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I planted it. Apollos watered it, but it's God who makes it grow. So how do we grow? Actually, other people help us grow. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that grows us. So so how do you summarise this? This is starting to get a bit confusing, isn't it? So let me try and summarise this a little bit. We have to choose to obey, and the Holy Spirit enables us to obey. If you're a one-sentence person, here it is. How do we grow By active obedience and through the Holy Spirit. How do we grow? By active obedience and through the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to our third question. Why does God call us to grow? I'm going to hit you with the answer straight up here. The answer is that he calls us to grow for the benefit of others and for his glory. He calls us to grow for the benefit of others and for his glory. And we see this in Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that actually it's a collective journey. It's a collective journey of growth as we build each other up. That the reason for you to grow and me to grow is actually so we can help each other grow and we become a mature body that can give glory to God. Our spiritual growth is designed to serve others. That's the why. My daughter's just started playing basketball and I love, I love watching her, her play. She's only had a couple of games. But she's coached by some amazing coaches. I'm so impressed with these coaches. And what they do is they focus not on winning this game, 
but they focus on the growth of each of the girls playing in this team. And they'll coach each girl and, and focus on the girl, but their coaching is so that they grow for the good of the team. Here's an example. This week, just this week, um, my daughter had one piece of takeaway advice from the coach. And the coach said this, look, you've done a great job trying to grab the ball off the opposition players. Well, well done. But here's where I want you to grow. I actually want you, instead of doing that, to make sure you're defending your player. Because the problem with trying to grab the ball is that sometimes the ball can get passed over your head and that person gets an easy shot. So your growth area is actually to prevent your player from getting the ball. That will help you become a better basketballer and the team will be better off. And I thought, wow, that fits in really well with my sermon. I'm going to use that analogy. But here it is in practice, this idea of growth of an individual being for the good of the body. So let's recap. Let's recap. We've looked at three questions. And here's the summary. God calls us to grow to be more like Jesus. That's the what. God calls us to grow to be more like Jesus. The second one, how? Well, God calls us to grow by active obedience and through the Holy Spirit. Why? God calls us to grow for the benefit of others and for his glory. Now, finally, before we pray together, before we pray together, I want to talk to you about Brian's first 15, which you may have got on your chair. I hope you've, you've got one of these. If you haven't, there's some spare ones. Grab one later on. Now, this is something that, uh, as I was uh, doing a unit at Vos uh, with Brian, he handed this out and he said, yes, I'm happy for you to use this. And I want you to think of it a little bit like the wall at home that we started with. Because the question with spiritual growth is, how do I measure it? It feels a bit sort of, you know, how do I measure that? Physical growth, I can see, it's easy. But how do I measure how I'm tracking spiritually? And, and this is a handy tool. There are 15 questions, and we've printed it on a sort of a big sheet, so you actually got a bit of detail about what the questions mean. And what I'd encourage you to do is actually write a date in, maybe today's date, and just score yourself one to five. Just like the wall at home, it doesn't matter how tall you are, it doesn't matter where you land there, what's interesting is when you come back in six months' time, or maybe 12 months' time, or whenever you come back to it, write another date, reassess, and see if there's a growth trajectory. That's what healthy is, isn't it? When we look at physical, as long as there's a growth trajectory, that's great. So similarly, I hope that this tool is really helpful for you as you think about this year growing deeper, growing on this journey where God calls us to grow. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray together about this journey that God has us on and then we'll move into a time of worship. Father, Father God, thank you for what you say, are saying to us this morning and this year. We see all around us the majesty of your design. Healthy growth that you've created is beautiful. Father, we ask that you would draw us deeper deeper into this growth that you have for us. Grow us to be more like your son, Jesus. Give us courage. Give us courage to overcome those fears and actively obey your word as you work in us, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray this, that we might be a blessing to others, that we might be a blessing to each other at church, and ultimately, Father, that we might bring glory to your name. And it is in your Son's name, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray together. Amen.